Wagwan, everybody. Welcome to the This Afemi History Podcast, where we'll be speaking about history and as well family history and how history relates in terms of Caribbean people um, for the present as well as in the past and how in the past, what that does and brings forth for what we are going through at present and what we can learn from our history, from our family, and take that moving forward. So I do hope you enjoy the podcast. And if you like it, please ensure to subscribe, like, and review. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Peter, for coming on to the podcast and speaking about Caribbean teas, uh, which I'm sure a lot of us are familiar with in terms of drinking those special Sunday uh, drinks in most uh, households would have been, especially being from uh, North American, myself, uh, from Canada. So I'll have you first start with introducing yourself. Great. Um, thank you so much, Wendy, for the invitation to um, be a part of your podcast series. Um, I have a great investment in our heritage, and I welcome the opportunity to share um, that bit of my knowledge with you. Um, I will say that I am currently the director of the Biocultural Education and Research Program. Um, but previously, I was um, acting in my role as a chemist, mm -hmm. um, head of department of the Department of Chemistry at the Barbados Community College. Um, I decided that I wanted to, after putting in, you know, what I thought was an important contribution into our educational system yeah. and chemical education. Um, you know, training young minds in the discipline and seeing them go forward and also make their contributions. I thought that I wanted to come out and uh, get closer to communities and be more involved with community education and, and hence the name Biocultural Education because I wanted to um, educate the public about the importance of our plant biodiversity in the Caribbean mm -hmm. and the value associated with the traditional knowledge that is embedded in how we use the plants. Um, in that context, then uh, we do a lot of uh, community outreach and, and um, we can talk, you know, as we go mm -hmm. through our discussion a little more about that. Um, in also, one of the first things that I achieved when I did come out um, of being um, a more, you know, rigorous academia is I formed a company with um, two colleagues, um, Jackson Cumberbatch and uh, Andrew Fleming. I mentioned their names because they always need to let others know that there's a partnership involved. Yes. And um, we had a passion for just what we're going to discuss here today, um, the traditional knowledge associated with um, the use of plants for making tea. And we formed a company called Heritage Teas, and we actually produce a brand um, of teas um, available in Barbados, but when individuals come to the island, of course, they can purchase and take that with them because they all available at our airport. Um, so we wanted to make that contribution. Um, it's a commercial product, but we see ourselves as ambassadors of our heritage as well. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for that. And I'll make sure that the show notes are uh, indicate in terms of for the link for your company, if people do want to purchase it, and then they can be able to purchase it online as well. Certainly. Perfect. So first, we'll start off with, um, if you just provide us, I guess, with a brief overview of the traditional teas in the Caribbean and their cultural significance. Yes. So, um, you know, across the Caribbean, we share a common history. Um, that a lot of it is based in colonialism. Uh, we also have to acknowledge that before um, colonialism, spread across the Caribbean, we had a thriving indigenous culture. Um, colonialism saw, of course, the horrors of the Atlantic slave trade, which brought um, many Africans across the ocean 
um, and um, as they were considered commodities, um, you know, they were distributed across the Caribbean um, and even Brazil. I think Brazil happens to have one of the largest populations uh, resulting from that slave trade activity. In addition to that, of course, we had the indentured um, um, servants, if you want to use that word, uh, which I, I don't like to respond to in, in terms of servitude, but it was. Yes. And um, they came over from places like India and brought their culture as well. And we also have to admit, of course, that the European um, culture would have been infused. So it became a melting pot, um, not always a happy melting pot, but it became a melting pot. And so this is reflected in um, how we um, carry on the tradition of tea making and tea drinking. So the European component comes in in terms of the use of the plant um, which can be treated at various levels to give us what we call green tea or black tea. And um, I remember, you know, growing up with a grandmother um, who always had to have her cup of um, her green tea, as she used to call it. Um, and as a young child, you know, you are sort of questioning um, the, the, the need, you know, because she had to have that tea. And she was also a great baker. And she always made sure that she was making something to accompany that cup of tea. Um, and that was a tradition in many households in Barbados and across the Caribbean as well. However, um, our ancestors coming from myriad um, countries brought with them their traditions in terms of the knowledge of plants to make herbal teas. And so we've got that tradition across the Caribbean of producing herbal teas, um, but we also call them cooling um, cooling teas are thought to be not only for purposes of maybe relaxation at the end of the day, but also to put the body into a good health status. Um, so we have that tradition of cooling teas that um, is expansive across the Caribbean. And then interestingly, we've also got um, what we call cocoa tea, which yeah. is based on the use of the cacao bean. Um, and the chocolate that you make from that, um, producing a very pleasant brew um, with spices like nutmeg and cinnamon. Uh, and then you add, um, if you want a sweetener or other agents to that. Um, but cocoa tea was also a very popular thing um, when I was a young person growing up. Um, and that is also very popular across the Caribbean. So in terms of an overview, we have a, a adapted, adopted um, the European culture in terms of using uh, green tea. And um, the interesting thing is that, that the Europeans, of course, adopted that tradition as well, understandably um, from China. And uh, they began to import um, the, the, the tea leaves, I think in the 1700s. And um, the unfortunate thing um, about needing a sleeping agent um, actually is thought to have led to them coming to our shores and establishing sugarcane plantations so that with the cheap labor, well, no paid labor, forced labor, um, the sugar could be sent back um, to fuel, you know, their interest and passion in drinking tea during that period. So we've adopted the, the European aspect of drinking tea. Um, we also have developed um, our herbal tea tradition and uh, cocoa tea um, is also, there's even um, a folk song that speaks to that about giving me that cup of cocoa tea. No, that's great. And especially with cocoa tea, I know that that was a very special thing on a Sunday morning to have right. uh, with as well the traditional foods to have. So that was a huge, huge thing. And I know that we'll talk about that later on as well. So, you know, with your background, you know, how has your background influenced your passion and exploring and, of course, sharing your knowledge about Caribbean tea culture? Yeah. 
Um, it, it is a, a story, a narrative I was thinking on. Um, as I mentioned before, I, I, my professional studies were based around chemistry. Um, and uh, when I went to pursue my PhD, um, of course, I was interested in the molecular side of what a plant may produce. Um, and so I was very interested in discovering um, new molecules, which I did, um, because I happen to love that aspect of science, um, molecular science and the properties that molecules can have. Um, and I wouldn't say have deviated from that, but once you begin to look at that aspect of delving into the value of what a plant produces naturally, you always um, butt up on the importance of plants to people. Um, because the plants are here because we recognize their value. Mm -hmm. um, they continue to thrive because we grow them for that value. And therefore, that significance and importance of plants to people um, emerges in your thinking. And as I delved deeper, um, did a lot of networking, attended conferences, and observed the intimacy with which persons were interacting with this thematic of plants and people. Um, I, I then shifted my focus to the Caribbean experience. And uh, in my interest in natural products, I then recognized that there is a lot of history that is not being treated adequately um, because we need to speak our narratives. And uh, um, one of the things that I did was I wrote a, a, a book um, entitled Seed Under the Leaf, where I used um, the reference to one of our plants that I use medicinally. And uh, this particular plant has um, buds under the leaf and I use that metaphorically as knowledge. So the buds represent knowledge and they're being protected by the leaf knowledge. So I wrote seed under the leaf because I felt that I needed to um, reach our public and make the connection between our past, our history, and how that has influenced how we use plants in our um, contemporary period. And it was, the book was designed not to be overly technical. I, I wanted it to be um, not lengthy, but I wanted it to be a source of reconnection. And um, that book, Seed Under the Leaf, did quite well within Barbados and persons visiting the island as well. And as I'm saying, I became sensitized to the importance of how we use plants, whether it's as a food source, whether um, it is, um, you know, for casual um, relaxation, um, preparing a brew, you know, just to sit with friends and enjoy. And uh, most importantly, how we use plants for health. Um, and in, so in that context, the preparation of medicinal teas. Um, and, and that still kept me in line with my um, interest in what we call natural products, these natural molecules that plants make and how we incorporate them in a cup of tea, which is healing. Yes, definitely. And, you know, I think you mentioned before with the Caribbean countries, you know, having diverse cultures. Yes. How does this diversity manifest in the different types of teas consumed in the region? Mm -hmm. um, I, I'll, I'll treat that in terms of, um, you know, we have this shared interest and application of the tea, uh, of the plants for tea. And uh, what is common is this idea of cooling and mm -hmm. using plants um, for cooling. And I initially, you know, I've done some surveys because I wanted again to get into the community and have a better understanding. And I wanted to appreciate what cooling meant. And this term is used across the Caribbean as well. And I researched and I read papers and um, individuals, you know, we've lost connection um, a lot with our historical um, applications. Um, 
you know, the the ideas and the knowledge has not been written down because we were not the ones telling, you know, a story. Um, so it's difficult. Um, but if you are determined, um, you will find, you know, the important um, dynamic. So cooling teas are really um, teas that relieve what we call oxidative stress. And oxidative stress is linked to illness. Mm -hmm. So, um, right, you know, or, or people had to find ways to survive. And the knowledge that they brought, the traditional knowledge that they brought to the Caribbean that allowed them to recognize plants or related plants um, and how these plants were used at their home base, mm -hmm. allowed them to emerge a platform for using these plants. And this tradition of using plants for making cooling teas, um, you know, is seen across the Caribbean. And though we may have slight differences in terms of how we apply them, but the cooling teas are seen to be important in terms of putting the body into a better health status. Now, having said that, um, we're also um, very strong in terms of linking and medicinal teas to specific illnesses. And so there are some families of plants that are more um, incorporated in the tradition. And the plants that are incorporated in the tradition are the very aromatic plants. Again, it, it, it's a matter of observation and application. And so the very aromatic plants um, are incorporated in teas, in medicinal teas, because those aromatic agents that the plants make are found to be very medicinal. And when you canvas uh, a group of Caribbean people and ask them what they're using the teas for, in addition to cooling teas, you're going to find that they use teas a lot for cold and flu, upper respiratory tract infections. Um, during the COVID period, there were individuals who were um, well-determined that they could assist themselves in the um, less severe cases of COVID by utilizing some of the plants that we have going across the Caribbean to relieve symptoms. Now, there's one particular family of plants that is turned to for that, and that family is called the Lamiaceae family. This is the family to which basil, rosemary, mint belong. And we know that these are culinary herbs, culinary because of their aromaticity, um, but they've also got these um, medicinal applications because those aromatic compounds are good for healing the respiratory system. Um, so the in terms, again, of teas, um, I'm saying broadly that because we've got shared heritage and common traditional knowledge, um, we find that cooling teas emerge and also medicinal teas. No, definitely. And, you know, would there be any specific teas that stand out, particularly as unique or representing the, of the Caribbean? Yeah. Um, um, I, I would say, again, you know, based on uh, Wendy Canvas persons, um, apparently hibiscus tea is very uh, popular. And the hibiscus tea can actually uh, be made from more than one type of plant. We mm -hmm. can use the flower um, to make of, of the, the, the decorative hibiscus plant, um, the, the red one especially, um, to make a lovely um, floral tea. And that floral tea, because of its intense color, um, is a rich source of antioxidants and again great for health great for flavor um, because I know that it's used um, in in addition to making it as a tea um, it is used otherwise hot or cold drink um, and even in other um, cold applications now we can also get um, another uh, related uh, beverage brewed from sorrel um, because sorrel is actually related to the decorative hibiscus. Um, sorrel is scientifically called hibiscus sabdaripa. Yeah. And sometimes I think persons are not aware of that linkage. 
um, and and so we can get a similar um, floral and fruity tea um, from the sorrel, and that is used. Uh, well, we know sorrel is very linked to um, tradition around the Christmas period um, as a drink, as a beverage, a cold beverage, but it is also used as a tea. Um, in terms of medicinal applications, one of the popular ones used is Cerisee, um, Cerisee bush, Mamordica tarantula, um, also called bitter melon. Um, this is a potent medicinal, uh, not one that persons would make um, uh, with a, a casual brewing of tea to sit and have a lovely cup because the principles produced by the bitter melon, as so-called, are bitter. And um, so the, the plant is acknowledged and respected for its medicinal properties. And it is used mainly for colds and flu and uh, also for the treatment of diabetes. And um, the, I, I understand that um, because I, I didn't grow up seeing my grandmother um, make Cersei tea. But in terms of when we interview individuals, um, it is prepared by boiling the entire plant, sovereign, and uh, it is boiled, but it's boiled for a very short period because, again, traditional knowledge informed us that if we boil for too long a period, we would inactivate the important compounds that the plant produces. And uh, it is then um, strained and bottled and refrigerated and used accordingly. And also um, they, it is used in minor amounts, um, maybe once or twice a day. So um, there's a rich tradition um, that is around the use of our plants and um, more and more um, scholars are looking to unearth these important narratives and uh, have them documented, which is what we are really missing. No, that's great because I know um, as a child, especially Cersei tea, I would have that at certain times of the year where my mother would <laughs> definitely be boiling exactly what you said and that's exactly how it was used and I wasn't exactly the most kindest to, you know, be receptive to having Cersei tea and it is very bitter, you know, and it's, uh, you know, you're practically drowning it in sugar just for you to... Uh, just to make it palatable. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yeah. It, as well, however... Um, is that in the use of um, that tea for diabetes, um, scientifically, scientifically, they've discovered um, compounds that are indeed able to regulate the metabolism of sugar in the body. Yeah. Um, and that reinforces the anti-diabetic properties of Cersei. Mm -hmm. And I know as well for sorrel as well, that yes, it is used primarily, you know, during Christmas, but yeah. I now see that it's, you know, used throughout the year because of the um, very properties that you're talking about yeah. for it yeah. as well. So, you know, you know, would there be any specific ceremonies or practices associated with the preparation and consumption of some of these Caribbean teas as well? Yeah, um, it, it's another um, aspect um, that I'm very interested in myself. Yeah. Um, we know that other cultures have got a well-defined um, tradition in terms of how um, a tea is prepared. They're very specific about the space in which that tea is prepared. They're very specific about the state of mind. They're very specific about how we handle, you know, um, the teapot um, and uh, how we pour <laughs> um, and how we consume. Mm -hmm. And with, with us losing a lot of the heritage knowledge, I have not been able to unearth um, a, a coherent um, tradition associated with how we execute um, in terms of that type of definition. However, um, we do know that there's some aspects um, that are still around. Mm -hmm. um, one of them that has sparked my um, interest again is uh, the use of odd numbers of leaves. Um, you would hear some individuals would tell you 
that you can only use odd numbers of leaves if you want your medicinal tea to be effective. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about three or five leaves. Okay. Um, and and that, yeah, that, um, uh, I've been trying to find out the source of that. And the closest I've come um, is to um, the African, um, I want to say comprehension, but in, in their culture, um, how they have um, manipulated their number system. And within their number system, they link um, even and odd numbers to outcomes. Um, odd numbers are linked to good outcomes, and mm-hmm. even numbers are linked to not so good outcomes. I want to say not so good in terms of bad. Um, and I think that the use of the odd numbers of leaves is probably linked to that infusion of African culture within our um, running Caribbean culture. Um, in addition to that, the drying of the leaves. Right. Uh, so I'm looking at the process from, you know, you, you select your leaves and then you're taking it through into the tea preparation. Um, the drying of the leaves, um, I remember again as a child, um, my grandmother. Um, hanging, you know, her orange um, rain from the ceiling, mm-hmm. um, allowing it to dry. I see you acknowledging mm-hmm. that as well. Um, and generally using solar, you know, we're talking about um, energy and solar energy, but back then um, yeah. they understood the importance of what our environment could provide for us. And the sun was used to dry the leaves until they were devoid of moisture. Um, and that had important elements in that um, the preservation of the plant material of course is best if it is devoid of moisture because moisture can incur the development of microorganisms Mm -hmm. that can impact on the tea only recently i was reading about a company in jamaica that is um, a tea producer and they're taking extreme precautions to make sure that such things are not happening um, so here we're seeing that knowledge is permeating into um, our developing business culture around um, the, the production of teas. Um, so using the sun to dry um, the leaves was very important, although you could use green leaves as well, but those had to be used immediately. Um, so, so, so that is um, the, the, the preparation of the um that material, it had to be dry invariably um, because that also increases the potency of the glue. And uh, in terms of preparation now, um, we have found that the tea can be prepared either by an infusion or a decoction. So an infusion, you actually um, have your hot water, boiling water, you add it to your three or five leaves in your cup and uh, that hot water will extract the important components in the leaf. A decoction, as I described for the Cerise bush, is where you now boil the plant material um, for a brief period. And this was adopted really more for the medicinal type of tea preparation. Um, Again, traditional knowledge um, allowed them to understand that if you want to increase the potency of a tea um, and have it function as a medicinal tea, that you needed to use additional heat, but you needed to use that additional heat for a short period. And so using a decoction um, is well expressed by those with good knowledge um, in order to get a more potent tea. Um, And then in the storage, I've, I've described that the medicinal teas are stored um, again, to make sure that the life is extended, the usefulness is extended. And um, I remember part of our older tradition um, is the tea was best served in a beautiful enamel cup. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, um, we switched to um, ceramic um, or, or the clay type uh, product um, in, in the more modern times, but that cup of tea um, was best served in a beautiful um, coated enamel cup. Um, so those are the elements of our tradition mm-hmm. that I am aware of. Um, 
of course, we understand that um, there's a spirituality involved as well. And um, I think that families will have, you know, um, their own individual um, tradition that they live up to. Um, but in terms of a, a, a distinctive Caribbean tradition, I think it has all of the elements that I just described. Yeah. Uh, and again, it, it is really about um, put, putting this on paper and having it documented. And this is something that um, my nonprofit association, the Biocultural Education and Research Program that I established in 2017, um, that is something that we are working on. Oh, that's great because I mean, you, what you're describing, I mean, we're just doing things just because it's been passed down from one generation to another, but yes. not really recognizing what that means. Um, but yes. you know, I'm sure a lot of people that are listening are probably saying, yeah, this is what I do too, or what I grew up, you know, hearing and hearing and doing. So it's just nice to know that, you know, there are some defined, at least some for it as well. So I know that you mentioned about in terms of the rich biodiversity within the Caribbean, like how do yes. some of these local ingredients contribute to the variety and the flavor of these Caribbean teas? Yeah, uh, very important question. You know, the Caribbean is uh, identified as one of the um, hotspots um, of biodiversity. Mm -hmm. And um, so important is it that we have um, identifiable scientists have estimated um, that we have got 72% endemic um, plants in the Caribbean. So that means that 72% um, of the plants that we find in the Caribbean are found only in the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. No, I want to be careful here. And it doesn't mean that plants cannot be, you know, taken out exactly. of the natural environment. But in terms of what has been traced, um, is that it's estimated that 72% of our plants um, can be found only in the Caribbean in terms of the source. And uh, there are some um, islands that have an extremely high percentage of endemic um, character, um, Cuba being one of these islands. I think they've got something like 50% endemicity within um, their plant resource. Um, so what that means is that we've got a lot of plants that have um, peculiar and peculiar not in a bad way, um, peculiar in a novel way um, to our Caribbean. Um, and I think it is related, of course, to um, the geology of the region, mm -hmm. but it's also related to the climate of the region. Um, we are a tropical climate, it's related to the nature of our soils um, that can be, well, in Barbados, they are more along the alkaline um, side because of our limestone. Um, and then collectively, um, the type of organic material um, that the plants are growing through. So we find that the, the plants do have a lot of novel notes in them. And um, they're Plants also, therefore, um, that we utilize that are not native to the Caribbean, but while they're growing in the Caribbean over a long period of time, they develop what we call phenotypic characters. And these phenotypic characters are the result of the plants growing within our environment and therefore demonstrating some um, unique properties because of um, the, the temperature, um, the day cycle, the nature of the soil, the nature of other plants growing around them. Um, something that individuals don't realize is that plants protect themselves um, and they protect themselves even in terms of what grows around them. Um, plants can produce substances that hinder the growth of other plants. Mm -hmm. They produce substances that hinder animals from feeding on them. And I, I am raising these issues to demonstrate that the plants in our Caribbean islands then will therefore be producing unique notes and these unique notes translate themselves into our teas. Um, one of the um, plants whose root it has become signature within the Caribbean, both as 
a culinary um, entity and also a medicinal entity, of course, is ginger. Um, and we know that ginger, yeah, pervades everything you do. <laughs> um, it, it does have that potency and uh, that potency uh, is useful for um, in all of our culinary dishes. Um, it's important in our confectionery and it's important in our teas. Um, bay leaf is another one. Um, bay leaf, um, though this one is thought to be native to the Caribbean, is beautifully aromatic and uh, it is also extremely rich in antioxidants. Uh, we hear antioxidants being um, touted commercially in order to get products into the minds of the consumer. Um, but antioxidants really are important for health and bay leaf is one source and um, its aromatic notes are extremely beautiful and we utilize that um, in our particular brand of tea quite a bit. Um, I am sold on bay leaf. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I, I may have also mentioned a little early, I think, um, that the mint family and uh, the aromas that we get from the mint family um, uh, have become extremely important. Uh, we also have a plant here that um, is called Dr. Gazel. Um, it's called mosquito bush. Um, and likewise, um, very, very aromatic. And um, again, used for colds and flu because of that property. And it will make a very aromatic tea. So, you know, um, biodiversity is rich in the Caribbean. Um, how the plants in our biodiverse units respond um, to nature and, and what's wrong with it will impact on um, what the plant produces. And then, of course, we use our senses um, in order to select these plants. Yeah, definitely. It's just, it's just something to, you know, take in all these seeds, to, as you said, just the smell, the taste, the flavor, and all the different aromas once they are all combined or, set, you know, taken individually. And so, you know, as yourself, you're an advocate for Caribbean teas. You know, how have you been involved? And I know you've mentioned some of your educational initiatives, but to yeah. further promote in the awareness and the understanding of teas. Can you just uh, talk yeah. a little bit to that? Mm -hmm. um, it, it has been um, such an interest of mine um, that even when I was um, still in my academic posting, um, I used to give um, workshops um, and these would be internal workshops and they were so well attended because, um, you know, there is that clamor for that type of reconnection, yeah. um, that understanding of our traditional knowledge and um, just interfacing with the knowledge. And uh, I would conduct workshops where we, look, we examine what is described as the organoleptic properties. Um, and that involves smell, um, that involves taste. Um, we could even have persons detect the medicinal properties of a, of, of a tea from a plant because your tongue is really an instrument. Um, your nose is an instrument. And so we would um, do a lot of that quality of work in reintroducing persons to the plants that we um, know to be part of our tradition. As I mentioned, um, things like ginger, um, turmeric, um, cerise, bay leaf, salsa. Um, we would always make sure, um, you know, there are some of the plants that give you um, more bitter notes. Mm -hmm. There's some that give you sweeter notes. Um, and there's some that give you what are described as earthy notes. And um, we would do workshops uh, reconnecting individuals with that because we know um, these are the elements that our ancestors, uh, without thinking, um, would have utilized when they were sourcing plants, you know, for health as well as um, nutritious drinks. And um, it's very important to do that. So, as we, uh, well, rather, as I came out and formed a nonprofit, that has continued, and we have uh, um, a number of um, sessions. Um, 
we actually made a documentary called Healing Roots. And that documentary, if anyone is interested, is on YouTube. And that is the title, Healing Roots. And we interviewed a number of um, elders in the community, a number of practitioners, and even um, a young person because he wanted to understand um, this root knowledge. Is, is it really dying or is it um, being passed on? And uh, the uh, unfortunate conclusion coming out of that is that as we lose our elders, we are losing the root knowledge. Um, and this only refueled uh, my passion for making sure that we get out into the communities and share this knowledge. In addition to that, I, I did mention that we have a brand of um, tea as well. And we felt that um, that carried a dual responsibility um, because we know that we import um, quite too much into the region. And you go to the supermarkets and you see a myriad of teas and these teas are basically based on Camellia sinensis, the, the plant that gives you your green or black tea. And we felt it's important to demonstrate that we could um, produce teas based on our local heritage. Mm -hmm. And so our brand of tea called Heritage Teas is based on that tradition. And we have tried to capture, um, even in our, our slogans, we say, that sipping on a cup of heritage tea is equivalent to sipping on tradition. When you sip that cup of tea, yes. you're sipping on history, you know, because your ancestors were the first who saw this plant material as important for what the leaves contain. But we have put a twist on it because you also want to be innovative. Um, and so we have uh, blended um, plants together. We have um, made an effort not to blend too many at one time um, because from my chemistry background, they know that you still have to be careful in terms of how you, you know, compose um, your formulation. But we have blended and we are using the more aromatic um, plants out there. We're using a lot of ginger, we're using a lot of cinnamon, um, more as an accent note, however, uh, we're using bay leaf, we're using the beautiful lemongrass um, and um, soursop, and um, we blend them into a number of different teas. We've got one called cinnabay, which is cinnamon and bay leaf. Um, we've got lemon ginger, lemongrass mm -hmm. and ginger. We've got one based on sorrel called rose ginger. Um, there are many others, but I wouldn't want to keep um, yeah. our discussion based on our brand but the importance of telling you about the brand is that we wanted to demonstrate the value of our traditional knowledge the economic value of the traditional knowledge and you know there is a very close link between biodiversity and biocultural traditions so by us making these plants visible and important um, we are contributing to conservation of biocultural knowledge and conservation of biodiversity. Yes, absolutely. And those combinations that you mentioned are very, uh, very nice. And, uh, you know, some of the things that I kind of grew up with in terms of with teas and the importance of them. So yes. do you have a, a personal favorite uh, among the Caribbean teas? That, and what about it does it make it special to you? Yeah, um, that's a difficult question, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I probably am leaning towards bay leaf in terms of the plant source. Um, and I'm leaning towards bay leaf, um, not only from its aromatic quality. I mean, bay leaf is exceptional in terms of what it offers in flavor profile and also in terms of... Um, it's aromatic character. Um, but I've done some testing of bay leaf and it is very potent um, in antioxidants. So when you drink a cup of bay leaf, um, there's that ancestral link, of course, but there's also the medicinal value um, from my level of assessment. Um, so I am, I'm very um, in tune to bay leaf as a tea. 
um, both in terms of what it means about our tradition and also in terms of what I identify in terms of its um, health contribution. Um, so that is um, the plant store. Out of our brand of teas, um, I am also that much a fan of one of the teas made from this bay leaf as uh, an important component, and that is called Bay Cafe. And I think the name kind, kind of gives it away. Um, it's got bay leaf, it has got salsa, it has a hint of coffee, and mm -hmm. it has cinnamon. Um, it's the most beautiful. When I when I am actually formulating um their cafe, um, I have to resist just sitting there and taking in <laughs> yes. the essence that it gives forward. Um, it's a beautiful aroma, and um, we we like to offer our supporters, um, our consumers, an uh, option of having having that in the tea bag, um, which is which is non-traditional because we would not have been using tea bags. But in terms of contemporary um, functionality, a tea bag, you get your tea bag, put it into your um, teacup, and you can get your quick access to tea. Um, but we also offer it as what we call a loose tea. Um, so you can have that loose tea and then go through um, our traditional steps of preparing your cup of tea from that loose tea. Um, extremely beautiful, and I think it is reinforcing um, my leaning towards belief as a favorite. Now that's nice. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Peter. And now, with like, how do you now envision the future of Caribbean teas, both in the preserving of the traditional practices and, of course, exploring new innovations? Yeah, um, another um, beautiful question because. From my perspective, again, um, I'm I'm very um, interested in us um, demonstrating our resilience. Um, we know that during COVID, and um, I don't know if you happen to be in the region at any time during COVID. Okay, <laughs> um, but it was really um, kind of disheartening uh, to witness how how dependent we were on imports getting to the island. And, um, you know, we had to have a system whereby um, we would allow persons alphabetically um, to go to the supermarket to make their purchases. And I remember saying to someone that if um, this had happened during the period when uh, my grandmother was alive, who was a very resilient person, um, managing, you know, our, our accessible resources as best as she could. Um, I don't think she would have had um, the problem that we were always experiencing um, because she was able to be self-sufficient. And so it's important for me um, that the region recognize um, the need for us to be more self-sufficient. I won't be naive um, to think that we will not have to do some dependence on um, external, you know, sources. Mm -hmm. But I think we can do more. We can yes. do more with what we have. And I'm, I am heartened by seeing um, increased commercial activity around the production of tea. Um, as I mentioned, that company in Jamaica, um, we know there is, and I think their product is Caribbean Dreams. Mm -hmm. um, and they have worked on their standards to make sure that this is a product that can be on any um, supermarket shelf, and indeed they are across the Caribbean. Um, There's some younger um, scientists who are putting their knowledge to work and are coming up with new brands of tea as well. And uh, we are seeing that um, look to be reconnected with the tradition. And I think that the experience of COVID um, has sort of pushed us um, to take a look back. Um, so I'm hopeful um, that we will stop leaking our traditional knowledge and um, more and more individuals are doing knowledge sharing, um, you know, bringing greater confidence into how we use our plants because of that disconnection. Persons always say, well, I would really like to become involved, 
but I do not know um, what plants I should be using. I do not know how many leaves I should be using. I do not know um, how long I should boil. You know, there's a lot of information um, that persons are still uh, disconnected from and don't have access to. And so we have a number of organizations that are working to fill those gaps. And I am hopeful that the vision is going to um, see a reemergence. It is still alive, um, but I think among the younger generation, um, we need to give them that confidence. Um, but, but it's changing, um, even in terms of persons who are sourcing um, heritage teas, you see that we're having a younger demographic. Um, so I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful in terms of the spread of community knowledge, I'm hopeful in terms of the application of scientific knowledge, and I'm hopeful in terms of um, seeing an increase in the number of tea producers across the Caribbean. Yes, no, thank you so much, Dr. Peter. I really do appreciate your time and for you coming on and speaking about uh, Caribbean teas and that this will still keep continuing because it is part of our innate heritage. Um, that we have, whether we realize it or not, but it's something that we have and it does continue. So thank you so much. And I will put all of what you've indicated in the show notes so people can be able to access those things as well. Great. Thank you so much. Um, I mean, you, you can see that I really do have a vested interest in um, the knowledge, you know, getting into communities. And it's something that... Um, as long as I'm able to, I will continue yes. to work in that vein. And I also want to laud you because um, I, I have been looking at your podcast and I think you're making a very important contribution um, in whatever domain we can. We need to um, make sure that we document in some form or fashion um, our narratives that are important. Thank you so much. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, please make sure to like, follow, subscribe, and write a review for the episode wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you.